Welcome back to another episode of Inside Voices, a teacher podcast by teachers for teachers, where we discuss all things education from classroom management to STEM in the classroom. I'm your host, Laura. And I'm David. And remember that in here, we use our Inside Voices. On this week's episode, we are going to be discussing teaching beyond the textbooks. So looking at approaches that are slightly different to what we maybe experienced at school. Teaching in the last decade has changed drastically, even in the last five years since we started teaching, it has completely changed. So to start us off, David, can you talk us through what a kind of typical day would have looked like when you were in primary school? It's actually hard to think back, but if I had to kind of map out a typical day, it would have involved a lot of workbooks and textbooks and something that, that maybe isn't done regularly now. We always used to go in in the morning and just sit and wait for register. I don't know if that was your experience. So we would sit, wait for the register to be done and then we would just get started with our first lesson, which is a little bit different now. Um, we didn't really have technology within the classroom. So for example, um, we had no kind of laptops or Chromebooks or iPads or anything like that. We had one desktop, which wasn't the it wasn't even the teachers. It was just one desktop that sat there in the corner and we got to use that occasionally. And we were actually really lucky in primary school. We were gifted a computer suite. So we had a classroom dedicated and it just had computers around. And actually, we actually had Apple Macs. Oh. The old ones, do you remember the old ones with like the blue yeah. or the pink or yep. the different coloured ones with a little circle mouse? We had them. <laughs> And then we got an upgrade and we had ones that like moved about. So proper Apple Macs. And then, yeah, I think they just stayed at that and then maybe got updated to PCs eventually. So now when I use a PC, like I'm terrible at it because I just literally learn on Macs. But yeah, a day in primary school for me was, to be honest, well, I loved it, but it was very different than what it is now. I don't know what your experience was over in the East Coast. Oh yeah, but very similar to be fair, very similar. Obviously I'm a little bit younger than you as well, so just a slightly different, One year. <laughs> slightly different experience there. She's clinging to it. Um, but we were very fortunate in school. Something that's really different now is we had like specialist teachers and I don't know if that was the norm in every school, but I went to quite a big primary school, a fairly big primary school we had a music teacher and we had an art teacher and we had a gym teacher. So we used to get to go to different classrooms and we had like an art classroom, we had a music classroom, obviously we had a gym hall, but that was something that isn't really the norm now. I don't know if it was the norm back then. I just remember, you know, being whisked away to music in the afternoon to learn my three blind mice on the recorder. Mm -hmm. What a pro I was at that. Uh, obviously all my practicing really paid off, but I think... It was very traditional, like you said, it was come in and even doing like things, something like comprehension or reading. I don't, obviously we read aloud to the teacher, but we did a lot of comprehension from a textbook. Yeah. And everything was on a blackboard as well. Uh -huh. So I remember like um, all of our like comprehension questions were written out on a blackboard or on a, like a workbook or a textbook page. So there was a lot of like manual stuff that was done by the teacher. It's funny you mentioned <laughs> the music teachers. I've got this random memory. We had a music teacher that came in and she was really, really good, but she was a bit off the wall. I don't even remember her name, to be honest. And she did us, she had us doing all the games and everything. You're like, I like coffee, I like tea. Can you catch the ball from me? Love that, that one. one. And um, what's the one about being stuck up an old lamppost or something? Uh, <laughs> I can't remember. And then Dr. Pepper <laughs> fixed him fixed up. Or, up. Yeah, that one. So there was all of these uh, different nursery rhymes, but she also taught us how to sing. And I, I was forced to go to choir at school. 
by my parents. But but when <laughs> I remember literally thinking this was like such a goal, she said to us that her son never broke his voice when he was an adult because he sang when he was a child. And I was like, that has to be me. <laughs> I was like, I don't want my voice to break. I want to be able to sing hi. I want this and that. Why on earth would I want that? It's a personal goal. <laughs> yeah, I was just like so obsessed with this. I know some people out there are going to say, oh, it didn't actually break anyway. But yeah, I just had that weird memory of that music teacher. But you're right. We had a PE teacher that came in from the high school. Um, we had music teachers that came in. We had art teachers that came in. We had a teacher for technology, just technology. And that's all they did. And it was amazing. And we had this little lab area that we went, and now it's just like every, every ounce of space is taken. Yeah. And that's not really the norm anymore. No, I would, I would agree with you. It's not, it's like a, a balancing act for teachers. Now you kind of have to be able to do everything, but there's such a breadth across the curriculum that when you see everything, you literally mean all the way from your, you know, your standard literacy and numeracy and you're going out and then you're building dens or you're going out and you're, you're coding or you're doing, you know, is everything in the middle. So if you're not that confident with something like we all know, I'm not very confident with my artistic skills. So I've got to teach art, but I honestly get like sweaty palms trying to teach it because it's so challenging for me. But one thing that I think is challenging about teaching now as well is we live in the most like, stimulating environment we've ever experienced and you know I, I'm even guilty of it whereas before you'd have to go and read a book or ask somebody phone them up and ask them how, hey how do you do this now if I'm even building furniture I don't even like read the instructions I'll go on TikTok or go on YouTube and watch a video of someone building it and then build it because it's so much quicker for me and I think that's the way teaching is sort of going as well because no wonder these children aren't going to find sitting on the carpet for 30 minutes engaging because they're used to going online and learning something in 30 seconds or 60 seconds or a five minute YouTube video. So whereas when I was at school, you know, we came in for our maths, we did our corrections from the day before whilst the teacher sat with another group, we did group teaching. And then once it was our turn to go to the carpet, we were on the carpet for like 20, 30 minutes. And then you go away and you sit at your desk and you do your task. It was a lot of sitting. It was a lot of focusing on the same thing at once whereas now if I tried that I would lose the room like yeah. pretty much instantly yeah I think we got some uh, training on this a couple of years ago um, and it was really insightful so the training that we got was one of the biggest changes that's happened in the last 20 years or so in education is the attention span of children now it's never been very long like it's not that you know just because of technology the attention span of children is suddenly short. It's always been short, but I think it's probably been shortened even more um, by technology in some ways. And one of the interesting things they said was the attention span of a child when focusing on a task is really no more than 40 minutes. That's your kind of, your your chunk that you've got with them. Whereas you're right, when we were at school, it was like you sat from break um, or interval all the way to lunch on the same thing. And then that was it. You just you had your lunch, that was your break, and then in the afternoon you did your topic or you did your special, you went to art, you did your music or, or, or PE or something. So that has been a big change, I would say, in my approach to teaching. I don't know if you would agree with that, that your approach has changed because of that. Yeah, it's certainly a big shift and something that I would agree with when you're saying that kind of sweet spot of 40 minutes is that's when you start to lose things a little bit. I think when I'm teaching us a sort of approach that I like to take that kind of balances those things quite nicely is a sort of stations approach. I do love teaching in stations just because 
it gives the children time to do different activities. So they might be focusing on the same skill, but in a different way. And that's engaging for them. You know, you've got a game, you've maybe got a technology based station and then they're with you. But also that quality small group time that you get with a group that either you've handpicked the children or sometimes we just do random ability groups. It's such a valuable time for you to give them live feedback as well because trying to find time in a day to go back through your jotters and look at corrections is quite difficult whereas when I like I said when I was at school we would open our book from the day before because we did textbook work every single day jotter work every single day and we were doing it for like two hours you would look at your corrections then you'd go to the carpet then you would do your work by the time it got to your work you, you were done you couldn't focus on it whereas if you can give a student now in a small group in a station where you've got them for 20 minutes that sort of instantaneous feedback you can watch how they then pick up on that feedback. You can watch how they adapt what they're doing. Yeah. But also you can then tailor your support for the rest of the week. So if you know, okay, they're really struggling with the formal aspect of addition, I can go back and I can keep a closer eye on you when we're doing it mm-hmm. on our textbook. So it's not to say, obviously, in this situation, we're not saying jotter work and textbook work and working from a worksheet is an awful idea. Of course not. You absolutely still have to do it. No doubt about yep. it. It's You have to get paper evidence. You have to know that your students can work in those conditions. But I think sometimes doing it in a way where you're getting the balance right is really important. So like you said, that sort of time, sweet spot. But is there an approach that you think works really well to kind of get that balance right? Or Yeah, so the, <laughs> the biggest way I've changed my practice since beginning teaching has been for um, reading and I shared it with you and I shared it with a couple of other colleagues it's not my original idea I didn't just come up with it but it's worked really well for my class so traditionally in a reading lesson it would have been different every day and I would have done 45 minutes and I would have given out a comprehension textbook or some kind of grammar thing to do with our book whatever some kind of task but the way that I've changed it now is like you said I've done stations and instead of having like formal reading groups where every child knows what level they're on every child knows who's the top every child knows who's the bottom every child knows where they are in that level or that hierarchy instead of that none of them none of them know where they are in theory so the way that that works is I have three random groups of the children they're all put in three random groups and on three days of the week I do stations so I have three stations running on three days so that they each hit a station a day so we'll do half an hour for a reading station one group will come with me two other groups will be doing a task that they can do independently and then they rotate so the next day another group will come with me and they'll rotate around those stations then on the Friday we do a catch-up so on the Friday we do they very rarely get their tasks finished to be perfectly honest, in the short time that they've got. So Friday's a catch-up for me to pick up anyone that needs a little bit more support in their reading and just to make sure that they finish those tasks. So, for example, I usually put out a written comprehension task for them, some form of it, whether it's the comprehension boxes we've got in school, which are great, or some kind of textbook or worksheet task, because I do like to get that written evidence down. But I also put some kind of active task in, a reading journal task or some kind of partner task or group task. Works really, really well in that context. And then I read with a group. And when I'm reading with a group, I generally kind of focus on, let's focus on expression or let's focus on fluency or let's focus on comprehension. I'm going to ask you three questions. And in that, because they're all mixed, it's really interesting because you can read with individuals or you can read with 
payers and you just call them out you just say their names and they come to you or you go to them and tap them on the shoulder or they pair read you can just mix it up in so many different ways whereas I think when we were at school it was everyone's on comprehension and I'm going to read with a group yep. and yeah that probably did work at the time but I just feel like I get through so much more in the time doing the stations and you do the same so you can speak to that as well you can speak to how it works with the younger children yeah absolutely I adopted that from you I've always done the kind of approach you're welcome stations each day but the mixed ability groups is something that I changed like probably halfway through last year I would say I changed it and I went straight for it this year and I agree it works really well and you can kind of chop and change what you do. But something that I think that when I started teaching, I was really frightened of doing things like that and really scared in my student teaching to take approaches like stations or to go outside or to do something that was a bit out of the traditional sit your seat and do your your work. Because in my head, I was going, how am I going to manage this behaviour? Because in my head, I also thought the behaviour is going to be wild if they're not sitting at their desks doing their work. And... It just doesn't seem to be the case. I was really frightened of managing that early on. And yes, when they're doing independent work, it can be sometimes a bit tricky to keep an eye on all the other groups whilst you've got your group with you. Mm -hmm. But most of the time, we don't give children the credit that they deserve when we're trying something new. You kind of instantly think, oh, you know, this is going to be really hard to do. But actually, they surprise you most of the time. And you're like, well, they're working really well. And I think it's it's practice where that comes into it as well so having sort of if you're going to do those reading stations okay your first week might not go down well because your first week might be a lot of fighting fires and you know making sure groups are on task and like you said they don't always get their written task finished that's fine there's catch-up time but as long as they're putting in the effort and it's getting to the point where it's as much as they could have done in that time then that's great but the first few weeks you might be sort of fighting that aspect of it every time so I don't know if you sort of find the same when you're doing something like outdoor learning, for example, when you take them outside, is that something you worried about initially or is it something that you sort of just ran with? Yeah, so we had a big push for outdoor learning last year, didn't we? And we've continued that this year um, because obviously all the research points towards it being beneficial for the children to be out in their um, outside environment. Whereas when I was at school, it was like you got out once a week and it was a treat at golden time or something and again that's nothing that's just the way it was that's nothing that's nothing negative but now there's a big push for getting outdoors and I was <laughs> wary of it with the behavior as well but now you set the expectations at the start and just as you would in your classroom so really there's no issue there for me now because they know exactly when to come back they know how many whistles you know means that they come back or when they go or whatever, you just train them in the right way. One interesting point I wanted to bring up, which we've been, you're way ahead of me in this. And it's something that I've started this year and I'm not, I'm not struggling with it, but it's changing. It's, it's changing my mindset on a lot of things is the approach to play in the classroom. So I teach the oldest children in primary, um, which are 11, 12 year olds, uh, primary seven, and you teach primary four, which is like nine, eight, nine, yeah, eight, eight, nine year olds. Yeah. So in our setting, we have a kind of full play pedagogy going on down in the early years and it's starting to make its way up the school. And it's something that is completely changing the way that I teach. I only do it one morning a week and it's a Monday morning. We call it Magnificent Mondays. Love it. Didn't come up with a name. <laughs> 
<laughs> I think it's good. It's catchy. It Everyone is catchy. loves it. To be fair, the kids obviously love it. Um, and if the person who made it is listening to this, you know who you are. Uh, we've had words about it already. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Magnificent Mondays is so different. You can explain it way better than me. But basically, the children come in and they've got their tasks and they kind of do them whenever. Yeah. And play in between. Do yep. you want to kind of explain it a little bit? So I think the the original approach of the kind of play pedagogy comes sort of the Scandinavian um, countries where they don't come to school, to formal school, until a lot later in life. And the statistics that come out of that are pretty mind-blowing. If you've not had a look at them, go and have a look at them. Like kind of, they, they look at all sorts of things, you know, academics as well as sort of well-being skills and things like that. It's really interesting. Um, and our lower school, like you said, they do play pedagogy and they do it so, so, so well. It's not something I had seen really until I started um, at the school that I teach at now. So last year as part of my professional development, I obviously decided to look into a little bit more as an upper school um, approach. So essentially, as David said, they come in in the morning and there's a task list listed somewhere in the classroom and I don't know how you sort of structure that but I just have a whiteboard in the classroom with all of their names and I use dots and t's so t's are like teacher tasks and dots are independent tasks and I use different colour coding for if it's like a technology task or a numeracy task or a literacy task whatever it is they're doing and the tasks are written up on the board so they come in they have a look at what they have to do and that's it they go off and they do it and one thing that really helps me with is in the morning normally we do like a soft start Oh, on other days we have like 20, 25 minutes come in. There's some options on the board that gives me time to sort of do the register, do the lunches, all those things. Whereas on the day that we do this, we come in at nine, they do their lunches and by five past nine, we've started. And that extra 15, 20 minutes makes a massive makes a huge difference. difference. Yeah, makes a and huge I, difference. You don't notice it on a normal day. You really don't. But on that day, I totally do. So essentially the children can complete their independent tasks and you'll do the same. You'll sort of adapt who's doing teacher tasks and who's so everyone usually for me has the same teacher task one of them usually like spelling or writing or something like that and then some people might have two independent tasks some people might have two teacher tasks it just depends on the week how the week's gone and what I need to focus on more with certain people and throughout the morning they can choose to do their independent tasks whenever they want so they can go and grab them and do them straight away they can do it last minute they can do it whenever they want and the rest of the time they just play and and what do you think the like, what do you think the benefit of that is? Because there'll be people listening to this that have taught for 25, 30 years, right? And they've done it one way and it's worked. What is the point in changing it now? I think teaching is one of those jobs where you're always changing. You are always doing professional development. You're always looking at your practice and reflecting on what you've done. And that's something that I actually really enjoy about teaching. I love being quite a reflective practitioner and quite a reflective teacher because... I'm my own worst critic, which is probably a good and bad thing in teaching because sometimes I look at something and go, that did not work. That was awful. I'm never doing that again or I will do it again and I'll change bits. And that's really beneficial because if it truly was an awful lesson, it's not going to do the children any favours to do keep doing that, you know, if it's not working well. Yeah. But also I can recognise when there's something going on that I think looks amazing and would be brilliant to try. And you give it a try. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. That's fine. But I recognise what was going on down the school and I thought, you know, these children that I've got now, that's how they went through their lower school years. So it obviously is doing something good because the class know what they're doing. The class are at a great point where they're supposed to be. And it is an approach that seems to have worked. And although I didn't know much about it at the time when I started it, I get 
really great quality time with a small group that I can change every single week. So if the maths topic's changed and there's someone who struggled with a certain part of it, and you come and join this group, if there's someone who needs more challenge, and you come and join this group, and you can chop and change as you need to, I don't get interrupted, like, ever, because they've got (laughs) something else to do, you know? They're not just sitting doing a task that when they're finished, they go, okay, I want to move on to my next thing. Because if they finish building their Lego, okay, go and play with Gravitrax. Or I finish playing with my Gravitrax, I'm going to go over to the Tough Tree and have a go at that. Or I'm going to go over to the Handwriting Station, I'm going to have a go at that. It's also so good for social skills. Because we obviously only see children in a classroom environment. We're not out in the playground. I know some teachers will have playground duties and things like that. But I really love just kind of kicking back and watching and watching how they're developing their social skills, how they communicate with their peers, how they resolve conflict with their peers, which is really interesting, Mm -hmm. especially in an inside environment where you've not really got the space to sort of run. Um, That's interesting that you're, you know, kicking back when you're supposed to be working. kicking back, relaxing. (laughs) No, if I've got the five minutes, I'll stand. But you do, you observe and you observe them using these skills. And that's part of what play is, is observing them and going around and saying, you know, I don't interrupt them because a big part of play is also not, it's child-led. They choose everything they do. So you're not going over and saying, I need you to build me a castle from these Jenga blocks. You just say, oh, you know, what is it you're building? And I rem- I really remember one of the first weeks I did this, The there was a group of children who were playing with Legos. And I went over and I said, oh, this looks really interesting. What have you built? And oh my goodness, these children could have been architects in that moment. I'm not (laughs) even kidding. The language they were using, the things they were describing that they'd put into this building they'd created. So, you know, it was little things like, I said, oh, you know, what's this part? And they said, well, this is for someone's using a wheelchair that they can still come up to this floor. They can still get through this door. And I'm just sitting there going, these children are eight. And this is the kind of things they're thinking of. Like That's just unreal. It was absolutely fantastic. So when you go around and you actually observe the play that they're doing... We think as adults, oh, they're just playing. But just playing is so much more than just tinkering with things. Like, it's so much more than what yeah. people think it think it is. Um, obviously, like you said, teaching changes constantly, doesn't it? So if there's any sort of piece of advice just to finish us off that you would give somebody who's going into teaching or someone who's just listening to this, because I know we, we have listeners who aren't just starting teaching. They've been teaching, like you said, for 25 years. Is there anything you would give as sort of a piece of advice on sort of these new approaches to teaching? Yeah, I was hesitant with new approaches, to be honest. Once I'd taught for four-ish years, I kind of was stuck in the mud a little bit and thought, well, this is what it's going to be for the next 40 years. Like, okay, I can do this. I've kind of got my my way, but actually I've enjoyed this year adding in new approaches. So the reading one I really enjoyed. We've added in a whole new approach to numeracy this year, which I've really enjoyed as well. And it's actually given me a wee bit of a like an invigoration again for the job. Sometimes you get a wee bit stuck in teaching and just changing one or two things, one or two new approaches can actually do you the world of good as well as the children in front of you. Yes, it might work what you've been doing for 25 years, but it might also work to change things and it might work better. And all you can do is try. Yeah, a solid piece of advice. All you can do is give something a go. And like I said, every class is different, every teacher is different if it doesn't work in the grand scheme of things it's one lesson and you've got plenty of time to go back and adapt so absolutely I think you're right don't be scared to give give things a go and don't worry if it if it goes wrong but don't don't quote us on it if it goes wrong (laughs) it wasn't our fault Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Inside Voices. Be sure to come back next week where we're going to be talking about STEM in the classroom. And remember that in here, we use our inside voices. Inside Voices.